0: Welcome to my mommy's
1: podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive Health. And you've probably heard me mention this company before because their products are staples in my house. Their spore-based probiotics are the best I've tried and my whole family uses them. I'm also really loving their K27, which is sourced from Chickpea Natto and is the only pharmaceutical grade all natural vitamin K2 supplement with published safety studies It also contains just enough zinc to allow the K2 to be absorbed and utilized efficiently. Think of K2 as the traffic cop of your body. When it comes to utilizing other things like vitamin D and calcium, vitamin K2 ensures that they're being managed correctly and traveling to the right places. Moreover, vitamin K27 can be found in literally every tissue in the body, making it a necessary and critical activator in many bodily health functions. This makes it helpful for heart health, bone and brain and nerve development, and overall healthy growth and development. In fact, my older kids have all started taking this daily because they notice how much better they feel, especially after workouts. And it seems to especially make a difference when they are in growth spurts. I also find their IgG products helpful for immune and gastrointestinal health and truly haven't found any product of theirs that I don't notice a big difference from and absolutely love. You can check out all their products and see for yourself at justthrivehealth.com wellnessmama. And the code wellnessmama15 will save you 15%. So that's J U S T T H R I V E H E A L T H dot com slash wellness mama and code wellness mama 15. This episode is brought to you by Element spelled L-M-N-T. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium to 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium without the junk, sugar, coloring, artificial ingredients, and fillers that are present in a lot of electrolytes. And this is why it's my go-to. See, it turns out a lot of us aren't getting enough salt and Element is my personal solution to this. But athletes, any of us who sweat or use the sauna, people who follow a low carb or paleo type diet or a diet low in processed foods, and moms, especially during breastfeeding, have an increased need for these particular electrolytes, including salt. And when we have an electrolyte deficiency or an imbalance, this can cause things like headaches, cramps, fatigue, muscle weakness. As I said, removing processed food from the diet is a great step, but when we do, we often eliminate our major sodium source that often doesn't get replaced. Element was co-founded by my good friend, Rob Wolf, when he was looking to increase his athletic performance. And now it has thousands of avid fans, including Olympic athletes, pro athletes, Special Forces teams and I would say people who outperform all of those moms and families around the world. I drink Element almost every day to support my workouts and hydration levels and before and after sauna. My favorite flavor is definitely watermelon, but they have a lot of great flavors, everything from citrus to berry to orange, grapefruit, and now even chocolate and mint chocolate if you like getting creative with it. And as a member of the Wellness Mama community, Element has a special offer just for you. You can get a free Element sample back. You only cover the cost of shipping. And you can get that at drinklmnt.com slash mama. So drink element, but spelt lmnt.com slash wellnessmama. Hello, and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And this episode is all about sleep. I'm here with my good friend, Molly McLaughlin, who is the creator of Sleep is a Skill and the host of the Sleep is a Skill podcast. Her company is one that helps people optimize sleep through a unique blend of technology, accountability, and behavioral change. And this started for her after navigating really intense insomnia while traveling. And so she created what she couldn't find, which is a place to learn the skill set of sleep and to have lifelong better sleep. And we get into that today, we talk about chronobiology, circadian rhythm, practical strategies. She talks about levers you can pull with light, temperature, food, et cetera, to improve your sleep. What infradian rhythm is, and how this applies to women, especially, the most important things you can do during the day to improve your sleep, and much, much more. Molly is a wealth of knowledge, and I cannot wait to share her with you, so let's jump in, Molly, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for being here,
0: Oh, Katie, Thank you so much for having me. I cannot tell you how excited I am to have this conversation and just grateful um over the course of the last few months to get to know you more and i'm just so admire what you've created and built and so i'm just grateful to be able to share more about sleep today i am glad to have you here because that is such an important topic and we got to be
1: roommates at a conference recently and i got to know you even better and it was so happy to get to share you with the audience today and i know that your story like many of us who get into part of the health world, there's often a personal reason why, and you had a very personal reason why sleep became your passion and you now help thousands of people
0: with their sleep. So if you don't mind, let's start there and tell us how sleep became such a focus for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think this provides some context for anyone listening because how I got into this was really to solve my own problem. And as you, as you so eloquently pointed out, many of us, uh, experience that when we get so immersed in a topic because we we want to create the solution for ourselves. So what mine looked like was really a kind of three-part series where for much of my life, I had a lot of labels in the realm of my sleep. I'm a short sleeper. I'm a night owl. It's in my genes. I'm a bad sleeper, just how it is. A lot of these fixed um, ways of being and thinking that then I need to just survive this. This is how it is. You know, maybe um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, get through it. You sleep when you're dead, all of those kind of isms and ways of approaching, but really from a place that there's nothing that I can necessarily do to make a real lasting difference in this area. So why bother? So that was how it was for me for many years, even when I was younger, And then as the years went on, as a serial entrepreneur in Manhattan, burning the candle at both ends, I started getting more exaggerated with my habits. And what that ended up looking like was starting to go to bed later and later, waking up later and later, being justified and righteous about it, where I say, oh, well, who cares? I make my own hours. Not a big deal. I'm more creative at night. Like, you know, I'm just going to foster this, lead into that, all of that. I did not start to notice uh, some of these through lines that... In you know hindsight, certainly uh, played a role in what was happening with my sleep, and some of those looked like getting the beginnings of an ulcer, getting shingles in my 20s, you know, getting more and more anxious uh, as as time went on, and with that, really missing some of these cues that something wasn't uh, working in the way I was managing my life. So it was not until I went through my own period of insomnia while traveling internationally that everything changed. And what that really looked like was my fiance and I were wanting to do kind of this uh, Tim Ferriss digital nomad thing, take a one-way ticket, bring our businesses on the road before they're ready, massive stress. And really the way that that all kind of coalesced was just, I could not sleep and it was days and days and days. And I'm able to you know be laughing and carefree about it now, but at the time it was so scary. It was such a rock bottom moment. And I come from a family with a background of a lot of mental health issues and so for me it really felt like oh, okay here we go this is it i'm going to i'm going down a quest i'm losing my mind and i'm going to have to be on you know sleeping pills and a cocktail of things in order to just really bring back even just generalized homeostasis it's never going to be the same that's that was the internal dialogue and so at one of my lowest moments, I went to the doctors in Croatia and left with their version of Ambien and realized, okay, if I'm going to really make a difference with this, I have to take this on in a really serious um, serious way and really went down the rabbit hole. What I discovered completely changed my life, understanding this realm of chronobiology, really the science of time and how our time, ta- the time and the constructs in our environment and in our behaviors affect our biology. Uh, so that really turned my life upside down and has continued to turn that upside down in a really positive way. So on the other side of that, now what life looks like is knowing myself as someone that has this set of tools to get consistently great sleep night after night. And what ended up happening once that occurred, when I really was able to restore that Then I just could not stop talking about it. And uh, from that place, just sort of organically started working with people that were also struggling. And then it started building. And so now we have a hundred and almost 90 weekly sleep newsletter editions. We have a weekly podcast with sleep experts. We have online courses, one on one and small group. We are now in hotels, Casa Cipriani in Manhattan, work with USC fighters, poker players, high performance individuals. And so I share all that because that was something that just did not seem possible at that lowest point when it really felt like this is how it's going to be forever. So my real mission in life is to really share just how transformative. I truly believe this area of life can be not just for this isolated area of sleep, but by virtue of focusing on this and having the circadian centric lens, then that is where we can start to really make a lasting difference with our health and our well being.
1: Absolutely. I've said on here that in the 500 plus people that I've had on this podcast, the one thing that universally everyone seems to agree on is that sleep is important. I've yet to have an expert come on and say, you know what? Sleep really doesn't matter. You can just out supplement it. You can just out whatever. And I often recommend one of my favorite tips is as soon as possible in the morning, get outside and get natural light as soon as possible after the sun rises. And that's a free thing that anyone can do. And it seems very simple. And it's often has a very profound impact, which leads me into, let's talk about the topic of chronobiology. Cause I I would guess a lot of listeners have maybe at least heard that word or understand light is an important part of this, but there's a lot of other things that go into it as well. And how like our sleep hormones and cortisol patterns affect every other hormone. So we're talking about sleep as if it's an isolated thing, but often it really impacts as you have found
0: personally, every single area of your life. Absolutely. Well, one, I acknowledge you for noticing that through line with all of these amazing people that you've been able to, um, that you've set up a forum to, have these conversations with and yes, yes, yes. So important. And then also the getting outside and making that distinction of just how important that is. I think that can be something that people might hear and say, yeah, that's a nice idea. I kind of get that. Uh, but to really practice that and feel the difference, like it sounds like you certainly have and continue to, to do. And when we were roommates, I know we were talking about, um, the importance of these things that we'll get into today. So really, really good points on that. hundred percent. So having said that as far as chronobiology. Okay. So I mentioned briefly that chronobiology is really the science of time and how time affects our biology and our health. So breaking that down further, a couple things that are one key framework that we work with within sleep as a skill is understanding that there are three key rhythms. Uh, so underneath this, uh, overarching area of chronobiology. And it's relatively a newer science that, uh, in the scheme of things as compared to other sciences to be beginning to start to make um, its way into the mainstream. And so some of the things that people might've heard is this first rhythm that is a bit more common, which is in the understanding, which is our circadian rhythm. So our circadian rhythm, it's this rhythm that's happening on a 24 hour rhythm. And as diurnal creatures were meant to be active during the day and at rest at night. So from that place, that is where we can really look to optimize and strengthen this rhythm. But it is important to note too. And so we'll do a lot of talking about that or can do um lean into that a bit more. There are two other rhythms that are important to know about too are Ultradian rhythms. So these are rhythms that happen in less than a 24-hour rhythm, uh, or timeline. And so that can look like uh your heart rate, that can look like your breathing, uh, certain other patterns that we can establish that are happening rhythmically and shift throughout the course of the day. And then there's also our infradian rhythm. And so our infradian rhythm being what's governed by for women and happening on around a 28 day schedule about a month or so. And so those are for women of menstruating age, that, that, that is something for us to be really mindful for, because that can really affect our hormones at around four different times of the month. I'm sure you've done lots of diving in on this topic. Uh, but it's interesting to have this under this umbrella of chronobiology, because it gives us a place, an area of study to really dive into more um, if people are hearing this newly or if they've loosely heard about and how that can play a role in our sleep. So back to the one that a lot of people have heard of is the circadian rhythm. So what we do a lot of work with here is entrainment, how to entrain our Surroundings and our behaviors to have a result on these rhythms in our bio in our biology, so that they're happening continuously, so that uh, and count onably, so that we don't have to think about it. So, an example of that with our circadian rhythm is like the friend that you go out and everyone's out later. It's a wedding or whatever happens, and then the next morning, they're the ones that still get up at around the same time the very next morning, despite what happened the night before we're looking to become that friend essentially. Now, um, what I can say about entrainment is that you can entrain in ways that are off kilter and you don't, many of us are actually actively doing that in our modern society right now. So what that can look like is entraining by having light at the wrong time, say watching Netflix late or the temperature in your environment is high at the wrong times. Um, some of the foods that you might be eating. And, you know, so we'll get into all of these different things, but so you might be in training yourself to be on the weak side of the spectrum of your, the strength of the robustness of your circadian rhythm or the strong side. So we want to move everything over to that strong side. Um, and that does technically include those other rhythms that we spoke to too. Um, so from that place, what I want to definitely begin to underscore is that there are a couple that are most important, so the first one you touched on so beautifully which is light timing. So light timing is going to be your biggest zeitgeber which is known as your time giver for the entrainment of all of these rhythms. So if you get nothing else out of what i'm saying please let it be this, that light is the most crucial thing that you can learn to lean into. We call this company sleep is a skill for a reason, because it does actually uh, behoove us to learn more about some of these things that so massively impact our biology. And for so long, these were automatically happening and these were automatically happening because of our ways of setting up our life. So what I mean by that is that um, I often reference a study that came out of the EPA in 2001, where it showed that the average American was spending about 93% of their time inside. That was both indoors and in an automobile. And the reason I mention that in reference to all of this is that the average person. This is back in 2001, by the way, before a pandemic, before you know, smartphones, before you know, Netflix, and all the things. So with that only 7% of their entire life on average was spent outdoors. The reason that that is so important to this conversation is that this is part of what's become broken with this entrainment process because previous to that, we would have been outside in this realm of nature. We would have had all these cues that we'll speak to that would automatically be happening so we wouldn't have to think of it because we've now gone inward, gone inside, become these indoor kind of zoo animals. Then we are divorced from some of these rhythm and cues. So now we have to create those. And so we can talk about what that would look like.
1: Yeah. That study, I remember you talking about that at the event we were at and it makes sense based on how much we're all inside, but it still shocked me that it's 93% of our time and probably higher now. And I feel like in contrast to that, I don't remember the year of it, but there was a camping study that looked at people being in nature for a very short amount of time and how quickly light was able to undo these problems too. When we actually retrain to nature.
0: Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. See, this is your kindred spirits, because, uh, that study I really, really think is so important. That's at a university of Colorado. And what happened with that study was, um, taking individuals that had kind of self-identified as being night owls or going to bed, um, skewing later of their time of sleep onset. And then within a relatively short period of time, they take them out camping And they start adjusting to these rhythms that are governed in their environment. Um, And so by being divorced from some of those electronics and the faux light and the, faux temperature controls that we have and all these kind of regulations that we have going on in the background, which many of us don't necessarily think of. And by the way, when I was going through what I was going through with my sleep, I couldn't tell you when the sun would rise or set. Uh, I couldn't tell you what temperature I'm usually setting the environment into or why that matters all of those things really do massively matter. Um, and we see some of those results in studies like that, where in a relatively short period of time, we can entrain and have a whole different type of lifestyle. And that includes our sleep wake cycle. Now, a quick example of that, that people might have experienced is with jet lag and particularly the type of jet lag where you're traveling internationally and really upside down in your schedule. And with that, while it can feel very weird and off for the first few days and as things keep going, you're often surprised at how many things can just feel very confusing. And then over time, within a relatively short period of time, you start to train to whatever, the Hong Kong time zone, and you had been in New York. And that's a really magical thing that we're able to be dynamic uh, creatures and adjust to those environments But the same way we're able to do that, we have to also get responsible and get aware of how often we're doing some version of that. So one term is known as social jet lag. So you don't get on a plane, you don't go anywhere, but you're experiencing the effects of jet lag while you're just staying at home because by virtue of having these confusing cues that we can get into.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about maybe some of those like most effective levers that we can pull for sleep. So obviously light being a big one, but if we were going to 80, 20 it, like what would be the big ones? And then beyond there, what are other things we can do?
0: Great. Okay. So a couple things. So uh, this can go under the umbrella of almost rewilding uh, of how to have it all, how to, you know, have the fact that I'm grateful for the fact that we're having this conversation on Zoom, you know, with the magic of technology. And so we want to still be able to utilize technology, but how to mimic this blueprint of sort of our ancestral um, wisdom that's still biologically hardwired that we can't just divorce ourselves from. So what does this look like? So the top most important I mentioned was light. So you're going to want to really become a connoisseur of light and have your very first activity be exactly what Katie called out, um, which is to get yourself outside and not from just behind a window. There are studies where it takes anywhere from 50 to hundred times longer to reset your master clock, which is your super nucleus in your brain. It takes that much longer in certain studies for behind a window. That's still valuable. The windows and light source are still certainly valuable. There's also studies showing in hospitals where people are able to be released faster by virtue of just having access to a window, but it's still not going to make the ma- um, major difference, particularly if you are really struggling with your sleep. So getting yourself outside physically, get yourself connected to where you are on the globe. There's apps like DMinder and different ones that will geotag you where you are and give you some insights onto the strength of the sun in relative to you and what time of the year that you are doing this. So get yourself educated on this topic and ensure that if you're uh, curious about what time you're getting this light, you're always aiming to anchor it. So it's called sunlight anchoring on the first half of the day. And then, uh, the next most important one is actually around sunset. And that's going to have that presence of infrared light in both of those time spectrums. But so you're getting those and you're timing that the second one is darkness timing. So on the flip side of light, of course there's darkness. And many of us might actually not be aware of just how little, uh, true darkness, we're actually getting and how much those hours before bed really matter. So, you want to do as much as possible to set your environment up. And I, we advocate it looking a little weird. Uh, so, have red lights, have Himalayan salt lamps, have amber lamps, ideally, candles. There's studies out of NASA that are fascinating where it's using candlelight because that's really important to them is how to, uh, keep their astronauts on time when shuttling through space and your sun is rising and setting every 90 minutes on average. Uh, so this becomes a really important topic for them and just literally candlelight or a low lux output that has a warm kind of hue to it. That's going to be really important in the evening. So dim, super dim in the evenings and go to total darkness at night, which you probably heard of while you're sleeping. Now, uh, aside from the light and dark, the next one is temperature. So, temperature is one that one you can uh, look to the ambient temperature that you have in your space, and you can use this as another cue for yourself where you're getting yourself at a warmer temperature throughout the course of the day because it's not static, it's dynamic, and you want it to be rising throughout the course of the day by virtue of the things that you're doing. You have a lot of say over all of these things. So, getting yourself outside, getting yourself moving, even taking on cognitively demanding tasks can, um, heat up certain brain matter. There's things around certainly the meal timing that you're going to have is going to heat your body temperature up, but it's certainly just even looking at the ambient temperature, have it warmer when you wake up. And then when you're going to bed, you're beginning to have that wind down process in the evening, you're turning down the ambient temperature. Ideally, if you have that type of control, and then there are also products on the market too, to help with the ambient cooling temperature and even in your bed. So ensure you have a bed that's going to, uh, not then trap that, that heat inside there. Um, and then different cooling mattress products and that sort of thing. And then nestled underneath temperature, are some of those things that I mentioned. So meal timing is a huge one. I see this a lot. Every client we're working with is wearing uh, different sleep trackers. And so we'll see so often that late night eating, and that doesn't just mean like right before bed you're eating, we're talking even two hours, sometimes three hours, depending on the sensitivity of the person and what their schedules are around meal timing. We have seen really fascinating changes when people even experiment. And of course, as a bio individual, you know, consult, uh, whoever you need to consult on this topic, but I we've seen really incredible things where people even test with four to five hours before bed, that that's when they're stopping their last bite. And if people want to learn more about this circadian code is a great book where you can delve into this topic more and just how much of a huge difference this makes. But from a common sense perspective that, uh, you can imagine that if you are eating and the assumption is that you're getting energy from this food, there makes sense that the body would imagine that we're still needing to do things. If we are eating the bulk of our calories and many of us are actually backloading our calories into the later on into the day. If you're someone that intermittent fast, I've seen a lot of that too. People are um, skipping breakfast, skipping, you know, pushing uh, their their meals much, much later. So, and that's not to take away from intermittent fasting, fantastic. And how can we play with the rhythm? So there's something called circadian rhythm intermittent fasting. And that is one where you're aiming to eat within sunrise and sunset. And that can be a more gentle fast to begin with. Someone's, ex, you know, fasting curious. And then a more extreme side of that would be, early time-restricted feeding, and that is basically the inverse of what a lot of people are doing with skipping breakfast, where instead you're actually more skipping your dinner in a lot of ways or moving that into the early afternoon. So those things can all... affect that temperature element of things. So when you shift over to fasting in the evening, that allows the body to really down-regulate the body temperature and move into that night mode that we're looking to facilitate. Um, and then we can get into some of the other ones, which more involve movement, timing, thought, timing, drug timing, and, um, so on.
1: Yeah. I love that you brought up the food one because I think intermittent fasting has gotten so much so popular and there's really cool data on time-restricted feeding. And I recently had Sachin Panda on here and he talked about this as well. And he said, actually, it's not popular because it's not socially fun to do, but the optimal thing to do would be to wake up and don't eat for maybe like the first just 60 minutes to let your cortisol patterns don't have coffee during that time. That's when you get sunlight, hydrate, then, do like coffee and breakfast, and consume protein, consume a lot of micronutrients at breakfast and lunch, being your biggest meals. And then he said, ideally, you would have your last meal like three or four in the afternoon, because he's like, we think we start fasting when we stop eating, but really we don't. Our body is not fasting for at least four or five hours after that. And so, if you're not in that fasted state when you go to sleep, your body's still allocating resources to digestion that could be used for repair, for flushing the amyloid plaques in the brain. Again, that's not super fun because family dinner is a very valid thing and it's awesome, but I've been experimenting with that recently. And it is interesting also how like, it seems like digestion improves pretty rapidly when you stop eating before bed, people find they get leaner more easily. Like your body can release body fat more easily when your liver's getting a break before sleep time. So it's not an easy one with the way our society is set up, but it seems like it's worth at least a try, especially if you're experiencing any of these issues. Like when you work with clients, do they see a pretty big difference when they can shift their food and their light to these patterns like pretty quickly?
0: Yes. Okay. So one, you just did such a good synopsis of Dr. Sachin Panda's work at the Salt Institute. Fascinating, fascinating, I highly recommend people look into this. because I think this is a very underestimated piece because what we see is that when people do explore this and again, you know, do what works for you and you don't want to just jump into these things, it does take your body kind of a metabolic um, shift to start moving things a bit earlier. But from that place, if you start to do this, some of the things that I'll see we tend to see a lowering of heart rate in the evening. So uh, uh, this is out of nocturnal sleep data. So what we're seeing out of that data is a a tendency to lower their heart rate, lowering of respiratory rate, Often lowering a body temperature, and uh, we'll often see improvements in heart rate variability or HRV. So those are some of the measurable ones. And then for people that are looking at the sleep staging on their wearables, now I do always make the call out that of all the information on these wearables, the sleep stage classifications are the best. So hopefully, you know, don't lose your mind on those uh, breakdowns, and especially don't cross compare because they're going to be so different from Whoop to Aura to Bi- Biostrap to all all the things but we do tend to see improvements in deep sleep, which I know many people are often looking to improve upon. Now, I won't say that this is across the board uh, by any means, but there often has been a surprising number of people that have seen that uh, shift. And certainly when you layer in all of these other changes, temperature being a big one for that kind of deep sleep indicator, but then putting all of these together as a lifestyle. So it's not gonna just work to move your meal a little bit earlier, like, you know, one night and then, um, maybe play with the temperature and the and the light and what have you. This is really committing to how can we start to make this more of a consistent thing? Of course, you're going to have spontaneity and change and what have you, but if we can start to bring this in, uh, where possible, and you made this such the great point, because a lot of this has to do with social constructs. Dr. Peter, Tia, I had, I loved, had a great quote where he said something to the effect of if I was the czar of everything and I could, I could just, you know, wave my wand and do whatever I want. His call out was that I would shift, um, social constructs to be, to be infinitely earlier so that we're kind of putting things upside down. So instead of meeting at night, we're meeting in the mornings and the afternoons and what have you, our meal timing is like that. Um, but also our exercising, our thought timing, which we can also get into, which is kind of fascinating too of just how much upside down and delayed kind of architecture we've created in what's happening for us throughout the course of the day and how much this really dramatically skews these rhythms that are so sensitive.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think these shifts alone, and I could think of far worse people to be a czar of everything than for sure. Peter Tia for sure. Yes.
0: Yeah. Same. I'm um, into that one.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about infradian rhythm because you hinted at that women especially yeah. can use this to our advantage and at least be aware of it to improve our sleep. So give us a little more detail on what does that look like at the different points in our cycle?
0: Okay, great. Yes. Good question. So a couple of things. So as a reminder, infradian rhythm is, uh, this rhythm that's happening contrary to circadian rhythm. So for women, we have more rhythms to be aware of than, than the average man. Uh, so they're, while they're concerned about for men concerned about circadian rhythms and ultradian rhythms for us, it is those, and it is our infradian rhythm. So this is all during the time when you're of menstruating age. And so with that, here's what it breaks down to is that if you have this rhythm that's happening about a month, every, uh, every month during this period of your life, what gets broken down are these different periods of hormonal shifts. And, um, we've had different people, you know, and I'm sure you've really delved into this topic quite a bit. Some people call it different things, cycle syncing, biorhythms, different ways of sort of, uh, mentally constructing this, but a couple ways to just make it really basic is that You can even think of it as two parts of your month where the first half, that's about your first two parts of your cycle. So that looks like your menstruation and your follicular, uh, that you're tending to have more of a period of immeasurable terms, higher HRV is one thing that we tend to see during this period. So heart rate variability, which tends to reflect how recovered you are, um, moment to moment to moment. And so from that place, that can be a time when you might want to front load more of the things that might be stressors to your body. Cause you seem from what we've been able to discover, seem to be more resilient during that period based on a whole slew of hormones and a much longer conversation. But on that first half, that's where you might be able to experiment with more of those extended fasts or intermittent fasting, depending on what works for you, or maybe lower carb or what have you, that could be a time to explore that. It could also be a time to have uh, movement, uh, the type of movement that might be more of a stressor. So high intensity, you might do some, whatever CrossFit or whatever it is that might work for you, putting that into that front half. Now the second half, um, so that's shifting from ovulation to luteal, that's where we tend to see lower HRV readouts, higher heart rate, and then certainly body temperature um, tends to go up during this period during luteal, So from that place, that's where we want to prioritize more of the self-care because from the sleep perspective, that's where we tend to see people having more difficulty either falling asleep or staying asleep. This is so, so huge for us to be um, taught and to learn and to explore with ourselves because when we have this construct to be aware of, we're no longer sort of mystified at this consistent period. Why am I not sleeping? Why is this happening? And what we can do about it. So from that place. This is actually, there's interesting conversation, different studies coming out around breath work during that time being even more important to lean into because we seem to change the breathing style, um, during that period of the second half of our cycle. So that can be a period where you might want to prioritize more of that. You might want to have lighter, you know, yoga, a kind of a light sort of style to how you're taking on this movement or other stressors. This wouldn't necessarily be the, maybe the best time to do, you know, kind of intense sauna or intense, um, if we're getting into kind of the biohacking space, you know, cold plunge and all of those sort of things, we might want to Regulate those into that front half. Now, if you really want to go in deeper to this, of course, Katie is going to have tons of amazing resources and really go more nuanced on the different types of hormones that are at play for this. And then what can happen when these get thrown off and then how to restore that. But part of the virtue of this is even from that place, if you have that overarching framework, you can begin to, instead of making yourself wrong, I used to do this myself and um, have a bit more of that kind of circadian centric thinking that that was from a male perspective, they work beautifully to have. daily consistent schedule that stays the same every single day. And I would make myself wrong if I deviated from that, but it actually is a way for us to kind of biohack our biology, to live in alignment with these things, be informed by these, not be surprised. And then there might be different supplements you might lean into at different parts of those cycles and different behaviors and activities, but those are going to drastically impact your sleep results.
1: Yeah, I've learned this the hard way myself as well, especially with really heavy lifting. I've been enjoying getting a lot stronger and doing heavy lifts. And I've learned to try my max lifts when I'm going to increase weight during the first half of my cycle, because right before my period is not the time that my body wants to do that. And I get a lot farther when I'm working with it. There's also been, I know you and I have talked about this, a lot of recent information about neurodegenerative disease and sleep. And it makes sense, of course, that there would be a connection here. I know I've read about how. The body flushes that cerebral spinal fluid and can help break down the amyloid plaques in the brain during deep sleep, which you've talked about how important deep sleep is. But what is the data saying right now about the like the link between sleep quality and some of these neurodegenerative problems we're seeing arise?
0: Yes. Okay. So such good points, Um, and I also appreciate you sharing about your own kind of hormonal journey and awareness because this is something that I hope um, when this conversation sparks more interest, or if you've already been exploring that, to really dive deeper on that topic. And as far as this, from a long-term perspective, and even there's short-term ramifications of the cognitive functions when sleep is impaired. And so what that's looking like on the positive side of things is that one of the big reasons that sleep has become, um, has gotten out more in the mainstream and you're seeing an uptick in more studies and conversations and more kind of mainstream data is for a few reasons. One, certainly because so many people are just Purely struggling, and some, we're at all time highs. Two, wearables, and suddenly it's become more gamified. But three, another big reason is because of some of these really impressive studies where there seems to be more of this correlation between, uh, sleep deprivation and consistent chronic sleep deprivation and rates of some of these neurodegenerative diseases, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dementia. Uh, and so from that place, this is suddenly giving people an access point that might have, you know, maybe the runs in their family, or they've just, uh, wanted to be aware of what can they possibly do. This gives us things to do decades in advance, uh, but then even also in the short term, because there's going to be short term effects of even um, acute periods of sleep deprivation. So what this looks like is the, the more recent discovery of something known as glymphatic drainage versus lymphatic. So lymphatic with an L, um, glymphatic with a G. And so glymphatic is this process of fluid that's really being flushed through the brain each night, particularly during uh, deep sleep. And during that period, what's happening is your brain is really shrinking in size. And so that allows for this fluid to flush out all the daily accumulation of kind of toxic waste to the body, to the cellular element of things. So this waste product, um, is getting flushed out. So when we've set ourselves up powerfully and we're doing all the things we've talked about doing, then you're really setting the environment for the body to focus on that really really important piece each night on the first half of the night. Cause that's when deep sleep, uh, highest ratio tends to happen is the first half. So protecting that first half becomes really important to facilitate ample amounts of lymphatic drainage. When we are not facilitating that consistently, what we seem to have happen is this buildup of that amyloid beta plaque. And that, if you look at a side-by-side of a brain that's kind of gone under chronic sleep deprivation for extended periods of time and Alzheimer's brain, for example, put them side-by-side, side, there seems to be a lot of correlations and uh, similarities between that buildup of that plaque. So that's where suddenly people are starting to say, okay, this could be an access point for us to people to have a say of what future we live into. So from that place, what a lot of people are doing know, some of it's just sort of, and that's what I was doing for years was say, well, what's the difference? Just push out, go to bed a little bit later. I'm in the groove. I'm writing, I'm doing whatever, like who cares? Go to bed a little bit later. Now in the lobbing off of that first half of the night, that's exactly what you're cutting into is more of that deep sleep because the body likes to stay on time. And the other flip side of that, and it's a whole other conversation is if you're lobbing off the morning, say you want to get up early to go work out or what have you during that period, that's when we tend to get a higher ratio of REM. And I know deep sleep gets a lot of press, but REM is uh, wildly important. I'm very passionate about the mental health side of things and REM, you can almost think of it as your built in internal therapist. And if we're, not really carving out enough of that early morning time too, that can bring about more difficulties with emotional regulation, anxiety levels, a number of things and memory and other things that can really go, um, if we're not facilitating that, but certainly on the first half of that, that lymphatic drainage has gotten a lot of press because there's really impressive studies, um, that seem to really, paint it in a light where it um, looks like there's not a lot of question that that is something that is at least connected. And we're figuring out just how much that is connected.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I know I I follow you on Instagram as well. And you're like my person to beat on deep sleep because yours is so dialed in and it's um, But to get between three to four hours of deep sleep a night is impressive but it requires to your point like the majority of that seems to happen between 10 and 2 and when I look at my aura ring in the morning almost all deep sleep happens in that window and then the REM tends to happen like you said early morning and so it's like not an either or you need both of them but I have found like for deep sleep for sure if I can get in bed before 10 deep sleep is amazing. And HRV is amazing. That's also a harder social thing, although it is easier if you stop eating at three or four in the afternoon, because your body's like, okay, done digesting time for
0: sleep. Yes. And so one thing that's really cool, and I do really advocate that anyone's listening, um, if you have the means to get yourself some sort of sleep, uh, sleep tracker, and even if you don't, or if you're not involved in that, um, doing a sleep diary or sleep log, when you get these numbers, it becomes so, so helpful for us to continue to gamify. And so one thing that I've seen is now I have uh, years and years of data. I can also see like a really cool diary, honestly, looking at longitudinally, I know unequivocally certain points I can point to, and I know just what was happening based on my sleep results. And one real key difference was when I really started moving that earlier meal timing back. Now, of course, with what we shared about, um, infradian rhythm, being mindful of that, that is something where you really want to be, um, aware that you're, uh, there might be certain periods of your period. So in that second half, um, that maybe you don't want to push it as quite as much. And so that might not be a time to do as much of that intermittent fasting phase of things, but I've seen such a difference for myself as far as even the deep sleep numbers. And that was one of the big changes that had been made during that period. And now I really become addicted to that, uh, feeling of being able to wake up the next day with such great sleep. And I know when people, um, you know, the social construct piece, if you have to go out with someone and they have that later schedule, Oh my God, you know, we go to a lot of conferences and what have you, and the dinners are always so late. And <laughs> I really have to adjust with that for a while. It takes a little bit of time because when we think about this Zeitgeiber distinction, it's really like, you know, it stands for the takeaway is time giver. All of these time givers play such a dramatic role in our sleep results. And it's not just about your sleep results for last night. Don't just come about from what you did the day before. They're also layered in with days and days before that. And in alignment with that, it's also really important for us to be aware of. I really want us to shift the paradigm to versus just um, thinking about the evenings as what to do to improve our sleep. It's all, not all, it's a portion, but it's a big shift, a paradigm shift to start thinking about your days and how you're living your days and how they get mirrored in your night. So how you are in the day, if you're you know, breathing shallow and short and you're anxious and you're stressed, and you wouldn't have to think that that would not show up in your sleep results is really just a divorcing of what we know of our kind of overall holistic biology. And another
1: specific question that I heard from quite a few people that I would guess you have some tips on is women who are in that perimenopause or menopausal age, who then see differences in their sleep, or especially seem to wake up in the middle of the night or have trouble either falling asleep or more especially getting back to sleep when they wake up.
0: Oh yes, that's such a huge one. Um so wakeups now I will say across the board for anyone listening, no matter the gender or age, there are a ton of reasons for wake ups. I actually had a client that called it forensic sleep or some of Version of this, like, uh, and really the point, the takeaway with that is that there's, it does take some digging to find out what might be at the source for you with your particular type of, in this case, wake up. So I can one kind of rattle off a few of these, and often these will apply to women of perimenopause and menopausal age, and even sometimes post-menopause. Um, but there might be a few more certainly keys to this as far as hormonal um shifts that might be at play. But often these can then send things even more awry. So the first one I would say that often can really affect women, and we see to see this other change that I did not mention in our Infradian rhythm, which is also our glucose levels. So we tend to see a higher kind of resting glucose state in that second half of our cycle versus the first half. And so during that period, if we are also then. Leaning into some of those cravings because we're having that higher resting glucose. We're looking for our highest you know yield item that can get us the most energy return, which often at on the short short end might be the things that maybe don't benefit us as much. So it might be the sugary, the process, the what have you. And if we're doing that, then we're creating that instability in glucose. And with that, that can often be for these for women that are dealing with this, this can be a really fantastic place to begin is the balancing of our blood sugar because, I think many of us might not realize just how much that shows up in our sleep. So we did a study or not a study, but, um, we did a, just a focused look at a small group of individuals at levels. Um, so the continuous glucose monitor company and, uh, people wearing aura rings that would overlay the data. Some of the things that we would find would be that there would be this tendency to the wake up periods that were logged on the aura ring. They would also have correspond with dips in their glucose at those times, the hypothesis around that, and these are non-diabetic individuals. Um, so the hypothesis with that is that when we're having that crash, then presumably it's a stress response for a body, for a body and cortisol, adrenaline, and sort of that type of wake up that you're really up uh, that can be so frustrating because it's not just like up, go to the bathroom, fall back asleep, you are awake. And so that stress response then tends to be very frustrating because what we're creating there is a snowball effect that tends to happen because now you didn't get sufficient sleep the night before. Now, even just with a night or two of insufficient sleep, we tend to also have a higher resting glucose state. And so from that place, now you're kind of having this uphill battle because now you're more unstable during the day. And then that carries on to the night. And if we don't interrupt this pattern that can get really pronounced, especially when our hormones are shifting or difficulty flushing, um, estrogen estrogen and you know maybe there's uh, regular um, irregularities around progesterone all of these things uh this can be a fantastic place to begin so i really do we're big advocates that sleep is a skill of technology so if you do have the means testing out things like continuous glucose monitors even just for a short term to get a kind of a gauge of where things are at at a, both parts of your cycle as well then that can be really really eye opening so that would be one uh, basic place to begin but then I can also share that there are a ton more. There's something called chronopharmacology, which is really the timing of our drugs. And so I think it can be underestimated just how much a glass of alcohol can show up in your results, how much uh, some THC can show up in your results and then things like coffee. I mean, all these really common type of quote unquote drugs, but then we also have prescription drugs. We have our supplements that are really, truly our drugs. And then, um, so from that, really doing an audit of seeing what are some of these things that we're taking in that have these drug-like effects and how are they affecting these wake-ups. And that's just a couple of those top down ones. Awesome. And I know there's like a million more directions we could go related
1: to sleep and hopefully we can do around two and around three one day. Oh, I'd love that. Awesome. Well, people who want a jumping in point today, I know you have so many resources that you've created over the years. Where do you
0: recommend people find you and start learning more? Oh, absolutely. So at sleep we aim to provide as many sort of practical and free takeaways as humanly possible. So on there you can take a sleep assessment and then get auto triggered a response back with, um, some resources that tailor to what you're dealing with, with your sleep. You can also sign up for a weekly sleep newsletter. We aim for that to be the most obsessive sleep newsletter on the planet, where we aim to put as many sort of resources, but also, um, you know, kind of sleep experiments. And we encourage the readers to also send screenshots of things that you're finding and kind of takeaways. So we really want to be little detectives in this sleep area and actually make this a lens for improving our life as a whole to start really becoming aware of, oh my gosh, these behaviors have a really um, visible and point to um, effect of uh, on a result of our biology. So you can sign up for that newsletter. We also have our weekly um, podcast as well. And then if you are really, really struggling, we also have options for small group trainings where you do, um, wear a different, uh, you wear a sleep tr- uh, tracker throughout the course of the time when you're doing this, kind of 90 day looks that's our flagship offering is a 90 day kind of journey through sleep and sleep optimization. And from the end of that, our aim is that you uh, have a wild amount of tools and awareness in the area of sleep. And you've also gamified this and you're surrounding yourself with other people that are looking to do the same and starting to experiment and seeing what's at the source of some of the um, hiccups for you with your sleep. And we also have one-on-one options for that as well, but lots of new things coming. And we're always looking to kind of explore some of the sleep gadgets and, you know, different things that are on the market to make sense of what makes sense to invest in and what, you know, maybe you could kind of leave to the side. Perfect. I'll put all those links in the show notes for you guys listening
1: while you're on the go. Those will all be at wellnessmama.fm. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive Health. And you've probably heard me mention this company before because their products are staples in my house. Their spore-based probiotics are the best I've tried and my whole family uses them. I'm also really loving their K27, which is sourced from chickpea natto and is the only pharmaceutical grade, all natural vitamin K2 supplement with published safety studies. It also contains just enough zinc to allow the K2 to be absorbed and utilized efficiently. Think of K2 as the traffic cop of your body. When it comes to utilizing other things like vitamin D and calcium, vitamin K2 ensures that they're being managed correctly and traveling to the right places. Moreover, vitamin K27 can be found in literally every tissue in the body, making it a necessary and critical activator in many bodily health functions. This makes it helpful for heart health, bone and brain and nerve development, and overall healthy growth and development. In fact, my older kids have all started taking this daily because they notice how much better they feel, especially after workouts, and it seems to especially make a difference when they are in growth spurts. I also find their IgG products helpful for immune and gastrointestinal health and truly haven't found any product of theirs that I don't notice a big difference from and absolutely love. You can check out all their products and see for yourself at justthrivehealth.com wellnessmama and the code wellnessmama15 will save you 15%. So that's J-U-S-T-T-H-R-I-V-E-H-E-A-L-T-H.com wellnessmama and code wellnessmama15. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium to 200 milligrams of potassium and 60 milligrams of magnesium without the junk, sugar, coloring, artificial ingredients, and fillers that are present in a lot of electrolytes, and this is why it's my go-to. See, it turns out a lot of us aren't getting enough salt, and Element is my personal solution to this. But athletes, any of us who sweat or use the sauna, people who follow a low carb or paleo type diet or a diet low in processed foods, and moms, especially during breastfeeding, have an increased need for these particular electrolytes, including salt. And when we have an electrolyte deficiency or an imbalance, this can cause things like headaches, cramps, fatigue, muscle weakness. As I said, removing processed food from the diet is a great step, but when we do, we often eliminate our major sodium source that often doesn't get replaced. Element was co-founded by my good friend, Rob Wolf, when he was looking to increase his athletic performance. And now it has thousands of avid fans, including Olympic athletes, pro athletes, special forces teams, and I would say people who outperform all of those, moms and families around the world. I drink Element almost every day to support my workouts and hydration levels and before and after sauna. My favorite flavor is definitely watermelon, but they have a lot of great flavors, everything from citrus to berry to orange, grapefruit, and now even chocolate and mint chocolate if you like getting creative with it. And as a member of the Wellness Mama community, Element has a special offer just for you. You can get a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping and you can get that at drinklmnt.com slash wellnessmama. So drink Element, but spelt lmnt.com slash wellnessmama. And then last two rapid fire questions. The first being if there's a book or a number of books
0: that have profoundly influenced your life and if so, what they are and why. Oh, yes. Okay. So... This is such a hard one. And I would say, interestingly it would be the four hour work week. I mentioned that part of what, um, Blake and I, my fiance did was we went out to go do the digital nomad thing. And the thing that I didn't share was that. So the first part, it was the Genesis of this entire thing, which seemed like one of the worst things that had happened in my life. It felt like it was just an absolute breakdown of everything in my life, not working and culminating to this element of not being able to sleep. And it felt like this lowest moment. And so that all came from this attempt to do the digital nomad life. Um, and on the, the plus side and actually during that period I thought I was never going to be able to travel again, never be able to do, you know, just have a big life that looked anything like that book. And yet on the flip side, the thing I didn't share was that we did actually, once I started to regain workability with my sleep, build up my confidence in my sleep, because it really was in the realm of sleep anxiety. Uh, so then from that place, then we did end up becoming digital nomads for about three years, traveling internationally in Southeast Asia, back and forth to New York. And that book really helped open the doors to doing hard things and doing things a little out of the box. And even when you fall and stumble to how to get back up and keep going. So that was a really big one for me. That
1: One had a big impact on me as well. I haven't done the digital nomad much. We've taken the kids a few places, but not a lot yet. Yet. (laughs) Yet. Um, (laughs) Any parting advice for the audience today could be related
0: to sleep or entirely unrelated. Oh, good question. Um, so I would say parting advice is to take on this philosophy that sleep is a skill. And I'm not just saying that just from, you know, to belabor a point, but really to shift to a whole new ethos around this thing that we do every single day. You know, I think for years, uh, exercise and nutrition, very important things for wellness and, and mental health, and they have gotten sort of top tier attention, and sleep has been a bit of an afterthought. And I think for us to start to rise sleep to that, certainly the level of those two, and understand the interconnectedness of this, but even to put it on the foundation uh, of the pyramid of well being, I think is a tremendous place to stand and from that place, the fact that we can start to consider this as a skill because truly everything that we're doing in the realm of wellness, I've never stopping my fascination with sleep. It just has gotten more pronounced and exciting way of, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that this one thing thing that I was eating was affecting my sleep results at night. I didn't realize that thinking about whatever stressful thing at night was going to show up tangibly and objectively in truly measurable data, um, which is really a fascinating place for us to stand. And I think so from that place, if we, like wipe the canvas and it's just a blank, uh, sheet, as far as what we know about sleep, if we start from the beginning, then I think it's liable to be absolutely fascinating and life-changing and to really act as this Trojan horse by which all of these other areas of wellness get handled. Cause if you really spoiler, alert, if you want to get absolutely fantastic, measurable sleep, you have to do all of these other things that certainly Katie has devoted her life to sharing about because they'll show up in your results, you know, day in and day out. It's never really done. Done. It's an opportunity to continually improve upon a skill set to levels of continued mastery. And more to explore for us in future episodes.
1: I'm very excited to have you back. But thank you for your time today. I know that you do lots of work with lots of people, and I'm grateful that you took the time to share today.
0: Oh, well, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. Um, having just years of really getting out this information that makes such a difference for people and for absolutely living your brand. I loved, you did a story the other day where you showed just the transformation for yourself and your own health and well being. And I think that that is absolutely so inspiring to me and the masses. Um, So it's, we can't even quantify the difference that you've made in the world. So thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for just allowing the opportunity for others to, you know, join your forum that you've created.